You're listening to Story Power, a podcast dedicated to disruptive storytelling. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Welcome. Kevin Nye is a homeless services worker and advocate living in Los Angeles. He has an MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary and an expired minister's license in the Church of the Nazarene. He is also a writer, reflecting on how theology intersects all aspects of culture, and is currently writing his first book on homelessness and grace. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks. I'd love to have you give us your bio as well, because how do you tell somebody about who you are in basically five sentences or less, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'd love to hear about your journey to this place that you're at right now and this passion. Sure. I mean, how long do you have? (laughs) Um, You know, I grew up in kind of a traditional evangelical church. I was really, really involved with church culture and youth group culture and all of those things. And I felt during that time, that God was calling me to ministry. Uh, And at the time, I think my only imagination for what that could look like was youth ministry, because that's what I was in, you know, so I, I felt something and I was like, I think I'm supposed to be a youth pastor. So I kind of pursued that uh, into going to Southern Nazarene University and doing a degree in theology and ministry. And then I kind of followed that through to going to seminary because uh, I felt that my the educational uh, academic side of things was really interesting to me and I wanted to keep exploring that. And somewhere in the middle of that, there was some disconnect happening for me with traditional church ministry and not in the sense that I didn't want to do it. Uh, but I think a lot of my beliefs were shifting uh, and I think I had hope that the church and my my colleagues and my peers were all kind of shifting in the same way. But when it came time to pursue ordination more seriously, it was kind of made clear to me that that, that wasn't the case. It was a hard transition, you know, emotionally and uh, with yeah. with a lot of my community. But in many ways, it it didn't represent any like financial or career issues for me because I was kind of, I was already doing something else in that department. So you are writing a book and I really love the way that you framed it earlier by saying, yes, I'm writing a book, but I don't want to wait. I want to get this conversation going now with as many people as will listen. And so I would love to hear just about your vision, your work, what you're doing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So it's helpful to kind of come out of the conversation we were just having because in many ways I've spent the years since leaving the ordination process just very focused on my work in homeless services uh, and not really having a lot of outlet to speak back to the church or to utilize some of the the piece of my calling that was a in many ways about uh, my theological training and I loved I loved preaching. I loved writing sermons. I loved writing. I was the weirdo who loved writing exegetical papers on biblical passages. And I didn't get to, for a number of years, do that. There wasn't a a place for me to do that. And so what I've been doing and kind of working on my book, but also being on social media, and um, I've also been doing some webinars recently, 
Um, it's giving me that opportunity to re-engage some of those muscles and do it about this thing that I've become so passionate about and that I think I'm uniquely positioned to speak on. Yeah, it's just it's been really exciting. And so my my approach in many ways is I brought all of my self in terms of my Christian upbringing and theological education to homeless services. And now in many ways, I'm I'm turning around and trying to bring all of my all of what I've learned and experienced in homeless services and take it back to the church. And, you know, I, I don't know whether I don't want to close the door on church ministry. Maybe 10 years from now, I'll be a pastor in some way. But like for right now, that being able to turn back and forth um, really just uh, is invigorating for me. It kind of encapsulates all of my story and all of who I am. So the the writing and engaging side is is my is my ministerial side in many ways trying to come back out so one thing i'm curious about like i love like it really resonates with me this idea that like you had to leave essentially and go out into the field and now you're at this point in your life where you're able to turn around and start speaking back into the church And it's interesting because I feel very similarly in uh, the work that I do, the justice work that I do in anti-racism. And there was a period of years where I was done. I have been so disappointed in the people that I've encountered within the big C for so long as it pertains to these issues. And I feel like this year is kind of like this year where instead of being back facing, I'm now turning around and facing this more. So like for you, what did that look like? How did that open for you? Um, What has that journey been like? I've always been a writer. That's kind of been the through line for me. It was one of the first things that I articulated that I wanted to be as a kid after I, you know, after I wanted to be Batman. Uh, I wanted to be a writer. And so for me, that that's always been there. I've always been in some ways blogging, had some kind of active writing outlet. And I've always had a dream of, you know, being published and writing a book. And so at the time when my ordination process ended, I still had some opportunities to preach over the next couple of years. And that kind of filled that that gap for me. But those eventually ran out. And so I would I would write some on a blog that, you know, a few people were reading, but not that many. Um, And all the while I had I had the notion that I wanted to write a book about my experiences working in homeless services, but I was still so new at it that uh, it would feel pretty audacious (laughs) of me to, (laughs) to write a book. So in many ways, I was just kind of like, going through my work, doing my work, while also having in the back of my mind that I was trying to think about it in these ways that I could later formalize and organize. And when, you know, I went through significant experiences or heard particular stories, I would try to, you know, come home and write them down. um, Thinking like, this is I don't know why this is significant yet, but this is really profound and I want to put it down so I don't forget it. And then years later, now I feel like I'm in a position where I can write that book well. And so I've 
just decided at the beginning of 2020 to really get serious about that. And my wife was really supportive in helping kind of create time for that. And then COVID, I want to say it helped me create a lot more time, but we also had a baby in April of 2020, right when COVID started. So I got time and I lost time at the, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I spent a lot of the year uh, writing a lot, but also uh, kind of resetting uh, social media. Uh, I created a new Twitter account that was sort of dedicated to not just my writing, but my wanting to speak back to the church about homelessness. And I kind of cultivated that um that account for doing that and that's the account where we met and i've i've just been really really grateful and astounded by how many people actually want to talk about it i was worried that i was gonna enter this christian twitter space and everyone was gonna get really annoyed and not want to talk about homelessness because it's such a complex issue that i think we feel a lot of shame guilt but also uh a lot of distance from but I've been so energized by how much people want to talk about it and are really, really engaged with it. And that's just made me even more excited to to keep doing it, to work harder on the book, and then to kind of get on some podcasts like this one and, and talk about it more. Yeah, I'm kind of, you know, like I'm thinking about different directions I would go in and questions. And part of me is curious about like your story specifically and how you got involved in homeless services and kind of, was there a turning point for you where you realized this was the thing for you that you felt called to? Was there, is there like something that happened specifically that you can remember or was it over a period of time? Yeah, it was it was definitely an evolution and one that when i when i did realize oh i'm i'm in this and i'm probably going to be doing this for a significant portion of my life i was able to look back and actually see a lot of those that the ground being laid um when i was in college doing my first degree in theology and ministry uh, I was part of an internship program where we got a certain amount of scholarship if we were doing, uh, if we were interning at a local church. Uh, and my junior year, I had to pick a new church because you were only allowed to work at one for two years. And I, I was really, really struggling to find what church I wanted to serve at. And there was one church in and this is in Oklahoma City, there was one church that was sort of known as the the homeless church, where they were, they were a really, really small congregation, mostly made up of people experiencing homelessness and some and just like a few, a few really faithful people who had stuck with the church for a long time. But the thriving part of the church was their ministry. Uh, they, they had a separate nonprofit called OKC Compassion that provided meals and temporary housing uh, to people experiencing homelessness. And I had never visited, but I was very aware of their existence. And I was really not that interested in going there, but I felt like an, like an inkling of interest and curiosity. But I was very worried, like, I don't think this is what I want to do. 
And then when I was I was really struggling to find my placement, I actually had a dream. Uh, and I feel so weird saying that because I'm not that's not like who I am. And that's not really often part of my story. This is funny, though, because I just had an indigenous pastor on recently and mm-hmm. we recorded and she wanted to talk about dreams hmm. and I had dream stories. So this is this is perfect. So funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had I had this dream that I in the dream I visited that church and in the dream it wasn't as scary as I thought that it was going to be. Like in in the dream I was comfortable, I was talking to people, I felt like I felt okay. Uh, and and I didn't realize it at the time, but that dream was really, really responsible for making me feel okay with even considering that as an option. Uh, and so I did end up visiting and I ended up interning there for two years. Uh, and not until years later did I realize, oh, I don't think that would have happened if I didn't have that, that dream because it, it just took this little needed shift of making me like courageous enough to to try it um and of course in the dream the way that the church looked was like nothing like <laughs> what it actually looked like so it wasn't some sort of like vision or or anything but but in many ways i can't i can't not say that it was from god or or part of me connecting with god in some way that moved me a little bit in a direction where i can really see the fruits of that now um so that led me to interning there for two years, uh, getting really comfortable with with that population, not really learning very much. I was still just kind of a, a dumb college kid trying to like be cool and do cool things with my friends more than <laughs> get to seriously know the the experiences of people who are homeless. But um, but it's part of this is the first part of that story, you know, and then. Uh, so when I moved to L.A. and was getting involved in things and, and started to look for a job and realized homelessness was so bad out here, it it felt more natural to pursue that because I knew I had done it, um, at least in some small way. That is really cool. What do you want the church to know about homelessness? How do you want to see the church engage? Sure. I mean, so many things. I, yeah, I mean, this is why I'm writing a book on it and not a, <laughs> not a blog poster, a series of tweets, right? Because there's just so many implications. But I do think it really comes down to the idea of grace. Uh, and that's, that's why I say I'm writing a book on homelessness and grace is because I think that if we, if we understood grace better, um, specifically grace as this idea that God gives us good things, not because we deserve it, but because that's who God is uh, and that that's what God wants us to be like. I I think it would completely change how we approach the issue of homelessness. Um, So much of, and I don't want to only say that this is a church problem because this is a, a larger cultural problem that's not unique to the church at all. We approach issues of poverty and homelessness with a very, very strong sense of what we think people deserve. Uh, And very often we latch on to narratives 
that align with the idea that people who are poor deserve their poverty, um, that they deserve less than I do, and that we as wealthy middle class or whoever we are, the not the not poor, <laughs> uh, that we deserve what we have, um, that we've earned what we have, and those who don't have haven't done enough or aren't good enough. That that idea is really really entrenched, and so many of our beliefs and all of our systems are are built around that belief. And for me, the idea of Christian grace completely undermines that idea. One, one, it reminds me that what I have is a gift, that I didn't earn it, that I didn't deserve it, um, that it's just a, a good gift from God, right? Uh, but then it also changes how I look at people who are poor or people who are experiencing homelessness and say, even if it is true that they have done something wrong or that uh, they don't deserve good things. I've received good things from God, even though I don't deserve it. Right. The very, the very basis of Christian faith is that, you know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right. We did not deserve salvation. We did not deserve any of it. And God gave it to us anyway. So the fact that we could then turn and look at um, at anyone and say, because of something you've done or something about you, that makes you not deserving, uh, should be absolutely crazy <laughs> from from a Christian point of view. And yet it is really, really entrenched. So my my mission, my work, my thesis is really getting to know grace and then applying it in all of its implications in every aspect of homelessness. And I think part of it is just an education around what is the truth about homelessness, which means a lot of a lot of myth busting about how people fall into homelessness, a lot of myth busting around who are the people who are experiencing homelessness, what do they look like, what's unique about them, what's what's true and not true about mental illness as it relates to homelessness, what's true and not true about addiction and substance use, uh, what's true and not true about how the housing market affects homelessness, um, all of those things. I think that thesis of grace applies to each of those issues in a in a unique way. And so that's uh, that's what my work is, is let's talk about homelessness. And honestly, whatever, whatever aspect of it you want to talk about, I'm ready to talk about it. Um, some people really want to talk about addiction, because I'm worried that if we give money to this person on the corner, they're going to spend it on drugs. Great, let's have that conversation. Let's Let's infuse that whole dialogue with some grace and have that conversation. Other people want to talk about, you know, the tiny homes movement. Other people want to talk about the cost of housing and the rental market. Other people want to talk about, um, you know, nimbyism and putting shelters in particular areas versus not. I want to have all of those conversations. Um, and I tend to just allow 
and I know you've said this is my show, but I love to just enter conversations and say, when you think of homelessness, what are the questions? What are the anxieties or or even just what are the strong feelings that you have? Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's let's go there and investigate that a little bit. Yeah. So my relationship with the topic, um, I'll just spend a couple of minutes on this, but mm-hmm. um, I would say like the first time I really encountered a shift in my perspective on homelessness came from an account uh, years ago called the I Have a Name Project. Are you familiar with that? Mm-mm. An artist, a photographer by the name of John Linton just started traveling around. I feel like he was kind of like the humans of New York for photographers for the homeless and really putting a face and a story to the people who he was meeting on the streets. And it broke me in such a beautiful way and, and really just completely shifted my perspective on the humanity of people. And that kind of started a journey for me. Um, so like one of the things that I do, cause we live in Detroit and we have, uh, we employ homeless people who come and do yard work for us and these different things. Um, we've got a couple of people in particular who we are connected with and, you know, try to help out and give money to and give food and, and different things. And then, you know, we've got this huge, you know, like next door app conversation debate taking place constantly about, you know, the, the people who live underneath eight mile. And, um, yeah, so it's really, it's really troubling to read people's very, uh, I'm trying to think how to say it, but just their perspectives on homeless folks, you know, like, um, so, so for me, like, I love this conversation. I have a heart for people who are unhoused. I've been trying to learn more about, you know, just listening to conversations around, you know, like housing and how we can actually provide housing for everybody in this country. Mm-hmm. And what we lack is an imagination. And we mm-hmm. lack that imagination because of the systems, because of you know, these ideas like the myth of meritocracy and and just things that are so embedded right in our in our culture. But what I'd love to hear from you is like, what do you think are some of the most common misconceptions that people hold about the homeless? Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge next door as an app (laughs) that gives me a lot of trouble as well. I had to I had to uninstall it for exactly that reason. It was too, it was too frustrating for me. And going back to what I said earlier about, uh, I try not to operate or make decisions out of anger. Um, and next door was just too much of a, a trigger of anger for me. And so I it's had not to, Twitter. I mean, come <laughs> no, I, well, with with Twitter, you can sort of curate who you who you hear from and who you follow and you know people people can comment but next door is just it's yeah it's something else it's it's so specifically geared to homeowners usually and and so that already puts a a bias around homelessness and all that so i uninstalled it my wife has gotten kicked off of it (laughs) because she 
she will engage those people and argue with them. And then whoever is the, like the administrator will will block her is eventually. Is she an Enneagram 8 by any chance? <laughs> she is not. She is she is a 7. She's, okay. she's a mean, very close. passionate 7. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but anyway, so the myths or the, the common misconceptions, I think there's a few that I go to because um, I think... I think most people are starting to see that, uh, especially after the 2008 financial crisis, that homelessness no longer looks precisely like, you know, a middle-aged man on the corner asking for money. I think we are largely accepting as a culture that homelessness looks a lot of different ways, whether it's people who are, you know, couch surfing or living in their car. Um, I think homeless services have done a really good job expanding our imaginations about that. Even the projects that you're describing, I'm sure that you saw what, maybe what was shocking for you was seeing not just the same type of person, but seeing kids and families and, you know, young people and also uh, very elderly people all experiencing the same reality and having totally different stories and paths to it. Right. I think that some of the really pervasive and insidious myths that exist right now are that people experiencing homelessness are all involved with substance use and addiction or are all experiencing mental illness. Uh, both of those percentage wise are higher than the general population, but really that has a lot more to do with the failures of those systems than the the failures of the people involved in them. So for example, the idea that someone experiencing homelessness is is crazy or has a mental illness and that's why they're homeless and so therefore I don't have to worry about giving them money, you know, this is this is a different issue than that. Uh that's one of the ways that I think we let ourselves off the hook. Um, the truth is that our our mental health system in this country is just awful, uh, and that we don't we don't take care of people who have mental illness. Um, and there's not a an economic or social safety net for them. That ultimately the the landing spot for people with severe mental illness is the streets or jail. The largest mental health facility in America is the Twin Towers Jail in Los Angeles. Um, if you're if you're counting the number of people in one facility who have a diagnosed mental illness, that's the largest facility is a jail. And it's also worth mentioning, and this le- leads into my second misconception is that there are particular cities especially on the coasts where homelessness is so much worse and it's directly connected to the cost of housing when we rightfully associate certain factors like low income mental illness substance use and addiction with the unhoused population but in a lot of the country you can have a lot of those risk factors and still be able to afford rent with a low paying job or with government assistance. Uh, 
And on the coasts, especially in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, that's just impossible. So when we're talking about homelessness and poverty, uh, it is different for every location because the cost of housing is different. And you can be a person who does have an addiction, who uh, has a disability that prevents you from working a traditional job or a high wage job and be on food stamps and government assistance and still be able to rent a room uh, in a lot of places, but not in Los Angeles, not really anywhere up the West Coast uh, and a lot of the East Coast. And therefore, you see numbers of people experiencing homelessness are just so high in those areas. And there's a big tendency, especially among politicians, to separate that from the cost of housing, often because constituents want to see the value of housing just continue to rise because it means, you know, values and profits. But ultimately, that just continues to box out people and and drive the cost of rent so high. I mean, I'll give an example that one horrible thing that we're seeing in LA right now is not only is the the homeless population getting younger, like we have a lot of homeless youth, it's also getting older. We're seeing people in their late 80s, 90s experiencing homelessness for the first time because they've been, they're on a fixed income that they've been on for 20, 30 years since they retired with a great pension and a certain amount of money that they get monthly from their retirement that will no longer cover rent in the same place that they've been living for those 30 years. Um, a couple of years ago, that uh, really struck me, there was a 91-year-old man showed up at our gate and said, I'm, I'm being evicted because the landlord sold our property in the place I've lived for 30 years and I've been paying the same amount of rent and they're raising it to be just $200 more than I, more than I make a month. What are my options? Uh, and you know, all we can do is try to find a new place for him that, that matches that, that rent. But ultimately if, if it keeps rising and there's no, no ceiling on that or no rising floor <laughs> for everybody that people are just going to keep getting priced out. And then I think the last one that I want to really, really drive home for people is this myth of service resistance. There's a really strong belief amongst everybody, but Christians maybe especially, that there are just particular people who want to be homeless, that they you know, enjoy that lifestyle, that they don't want help. And those are either the people that we need to just let them have what they want, or from a political standpoint, we need to punish them and kind of force them into services against their will. And I can tell you, having met thousands of people experiencing homelessness, that there is not one person who, if I sat down with them and asked them exactly what they would want out of services and out of housing, that if I could go and get that that same day, they would take it in a heartbeat. And the issue often is that the services that we're offering don't match their needs and that the way that we're providing them is not thoughtful or trauma-informed in any significant way. Ultimately, 
our systems have let people down for so long. People have been given promises of housing, of shelter, of whatever, and then it's been pulled out from under them or it wasn't what they said it was going to be. And so a lot of people have just given up. And so the work of my organization is really centered on building relationships and trust with people so that when those opportunities do come along, we've broken down a lot of those barriers so that even if they're suspicious of the opportunity, they trust us in coming alongside with them to even just give it a chance. And so one more story. <laughs> we, and I tell the story a lot, there, I was talking to a police officer and police officers are unfortunately often frontline workers in homeless services because they're the ones who get called to to deal with people who, you know, the homeowner or the business owner is frustrated about the presence of somebody. And so the this police officer had gone to an encampment and offered shelter to everyone at the encampment and they had all turned him down. And this officer told me, you see, these people, they don't want help. We offered them shelter. They didn't take it. They just want to be homeless. And that's why we need to do these sweeps. That's why we need to arrest people. Or that's why we need to have these laws about when they can be there and when their tents can be up. Uh, and I, <laughs> I was curious because I knew at that time there were no shelters in Hollywood. And that's where this was taking place. So I said, what, what shelter were you offering them? And he said, the Salvation Army shelter in Bell. And if you don't know the layout of Los Angeles, Bell is really, really far from Hollywood. Uh, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And you have to take multiple uh, stops of and interchanges of public transportation to get there. And so essentially what this police officer was offering people, he thought he was just offering them shelter, which is what, of course, why wouldn't they want that? What he was actually suggesting to them was, I want you to leave this neighborhood where you know everybody, where you know where you can get breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know where you can go to use a restroom, you know where you can go to charge your phone, you know how to get through your daily life. I want you to get in my police car and go 30 miles away from there to a place where you're allowed to sleep overnight, but at seven in the morning, you have to leave and then you can't come back until seven at night. And in the meantime, you have no idea where you can eat. You have no idea where you can do any of these things. You don't know anybody. And those are just the things that we overlook. And then we end up seeing that person is saying, oh, see, they don't want help. When the truth is that the help that we're offering is not at all desirable. Uh, it does not match what they actually need. It doesn't match what they want. And so I've, I've begun saying kind of against this idea of service resistance that, that people are not service resistant, that services are people resistant. Um, the services that we offer people do not meet what they need, what they want. And the more that we push them, the more suspicious they're going to be of the services later that might meet their needs. Uh, and it's just this, this endless cycle that reinforces for the public that people really don't deserve our help because they don't want it in the first place. Uh, and it just gets really, really ugly from there. 
uh, because we're not willing to just ask these very basic questions of people and of the services that we're providing. Yeah. It's interesting too, because the, you know, the police officer apparently doesn't understand this, but the police are not safe for so many people. And so even this idea that, that they should be trusted, right? Like I worked in anti-trafficking for a long time Mm -hmm. and some of the really problematic people were the police, you know, and, and these women, mostly the sex workers that I was encountering, like they didn't feel safe because they had real experiences with that. And then beyond that, you know, a lot of these shelters and stuff, they're very unsafe for people, you Mm -hmm. know, like our friend who, you know, does yard work and stuff like that during the summer for us, like he's had so many horrible things happen inside these places, right? So he's scared. He wants somewhere to live and to go, but he doesn't want his wallet stolen. He doesn't, he got knifed and ended up in the hospital, right? right? Um, There's so much more to this conversation, right? Yeah. And especially during COVID, if what we're offering people is a congregate shelter, people are safer in their tents, you know? Yeah. In, In many ways, the COVID has not, uh, harmed the unhoused population as much as it has housed the population for that reason. It's the one real benefit to sleeping outside and being isolated is that for, for COVID-19, that's, that's a great way to not get COVID-19. That's a really good point. I was going to ask you what gets in the way, like, what do you think the disconnect is? But I feel like you've answered that or at least illuminated that. How do you see, like, how do you think we can connect people with the broader story so that they understand and so that their imaginations are expanded? Well, uh, it's, it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, I think, you know, part of why I feel called to write a book on it is because I hope that that can make some sort of dent. I'm going to be telling a lot of stories in that book of of people whose life and experiences undercut a lot of those assumptions. But in lieu of that, or in addition to that, I think doing exactly what you described of getting to know people's stories, whether it's through, you know, a social media account or just, you know, volunteering, you know, if you're going to volunteer at a, a soup kitchen, not staying behind the counter, you know, um, once you're done serving, like go and sit with people. That was the one smart thing that I learned when I was uh, at my first placement of working with people experiencing homelessness in Oklahoma was that the only thing better than feeding the homeless, this is how I articulated it at the time, uh, the only thing better than feeding the homeless is eating with the homeless. And in those opportunities, getting to know people understanding their stories, understanding their humanity, uh, and not just not just moving from seeing them as people who are lazy or uh, need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Like we obviously need to move away from that mentality, but we also we often swing in the totally opposite direction, which is to see them completely as victims uh, who need our help and who need our our saviorism to swoop in. And that's exactly where that that piece of 
labeling people as service resistant comes from is look, I'm, I'm not one of these people who thinks that you're lazy. I'm one of these people that's here to help you, but there's still this huge distance of, I don't actually know you and I'm not going to get to know you. And so I'm here to be your savior and that's it. We have to find something in the middle that recognizes victimhood in many ways that people who are experiencing homelessness are the byproduct of unjust systems, but they are also people who have agency, who have stories, who have skills, who have resilience beyond what you and I could ever imagine. <laughs> the idea that uh, the idea that anyone who's experiencing homelessness is lazy is one of the most incredibly foolish ideas that we have as a culture to to get through a day experiencing homelessness uh the amount of walking that you have to do the amount of hustling and like there there is no there's truly no rest for the weary yeah it's a really good point though because even just like hearing you say that just realizing like it's such hard work right it's different it doesn't always result in even getting three square meals a day, mm-hmm. but what hard work it is. I wouldn't want to stand for 10 hours trying to get people to look me in the eyes and maybe spare a dollar. Right. When you were talking earlier, something I was thinking about is like just these moments where our minds change, you know, like I mm-hmm. used to believe this and now I believe this. Do you have anything, you know, like, that for you really shifted in your thinking where you used to think something and and now your mind has totally changed on that. I can't pinpoint moments for any of it really. I think um, I don't want to say that this is true for everyone, but I expect that for most of us, when we change our minds significantly about things, it's not because somebody (laughs) on social media with the rightly, perfected argument said it in exactly the way that you're like whoa you're right i've completely changed my worldview right Right? it's little it's chipping away (laughs) like and i you know maybe maybe somebody saying something on social media if it's done in the right way can help move you a little bit or make you think about something in a different way um meeting somebody and experiencing that their story doesn't match your narrative uh makes a significant change in that while also there's still that next step of eventually you hear a bunch of stories and go, Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe these aren't exceptions. Maybe everyone is an exception. Right. Um, so yeah, I can't pinpoint any time any of it necessarily changed, but there, there are moments where I finally, I read something Uh, Or I heard someone say something that finally took all of those experiences and all of those little things and put them together in a way that said, oh, that is what I believe. Um, And that's why I love reading and writing. That's why I really believe in the power of writing uh, is because even the idea that I was just mentioning about, you know, finding a middle space between you know, you're lazy and you're a victim. 
and that space being agency. That's something that I read two weeks ago in a book that I had never been able to articulate. And I, I believed it all. It was all out there based on my experiences and everything I'd, I'd read and understood in my work. But just hearing it phrased in that way was like, that's it. That's, that's the bringing together of all of that. So I can yeah. cite that as like, that was a moment where my language and my, uh, my understanding changed, but it wasn't, it wasn't a switch flipped from believing one thing to believing another. So what was that book or do you have, um, cause what I was going to ask you is whose work has really influenced you? Hmm. Um, and is there a particular book you would recommend until yours comes out and we can buy that and read that? But what was the book that you were reading where you read that? Yeah. So the book that I was reading was called Disrupting Homelessness. It's by Laura Stevers. Um, I found it, to be quite honest, I found it because when you're writing a book on a topic, you're supposed to know all of the other books that are out there about that topic and be able to explain to publishers why yours is different so that you're not just rewriting somebody else's book, right? And so uh, I've actually, I've had to search really hard for books because this isn't a very popular topic. But the three that I have found are that one, uh, a book that came out in 2019 by Terrence Lester called I See You, uh, and then a book that just came out, um, I'm forgetting the author's name, uh, oh, Lindsay Crinks wrote a book called Praying With Our Feet. Um, and I haven't read that one yet because it just came out. But uh, if you want to start reading, those are great books. But the books that have been really meaningful to me uh, are books that are either kind of tangentially related to homelessness or that's like a part of the story or books that are about people of faith who work and operate in these justice spaces kind of separate from church ministry. Imagine that people who people who have had a similar story to me and made something beautiful out of it. So I'm really inspired by Brian Stevenson and the book, just mercy. Oh yeah. It's on your shirt. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and he, you actually have to dig a little bit to, to realize that he is a person of faith. Um, you can sort of see it throughout his books, the the language of it, but it's not something he leads with necessarily. Um, I'm really inspired by uh, Greg Boyle, who founded uh, Homeboy Industries yeah. and his books, um, inspired by him and by his writing style. And in a lot of ways, I'm trying to uh, emulate that. Um, and to go back a little further, uh, a huge hero of mine is Dorothy Day who founded the Catholic worker movement uh, right. and really, really pushed the, well, she tried to push the Catholic church towards more of a, a social justice and social gospel and ended up just, uh, the church didn't necessarily want to be a part of it, but she still called it the Catholic worker. And she just founded a movement that was doing what she thought the church should be doing. And it still exists yeah. to this day with kind of a very loose connection to the larger Catholic church. Mm -hmm. um, they like recognize them, but don't always celebrate them. Um, and so a lot of her work was around, you know, bringing people in 
who were experiencing homelessness, but she would also get really, really feisty and fiery around labor unions, you know? Um, so her work is inspirational to me, even when it's not directly about, um, homeless services, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. I mean, the thing that I'm learning and have been learning for a long time is just how all of this intersects Mm -hmm. and it's a puzzle and they're so connected. So my next question for you is, do you think that we can end homelessness? Is that even the goal or the question? Is there a solution for this? Yes. Um, 100%. I'm, I'm annoyed at myself that I haven't mentioned that yet. Um, I do believe that we can end homelessness. I think that should be our goal. Uh, I think that grace empowers us to do that. Um, And the truth is that homeless services advocates have been campaigning, uh, trying to get the word out about like what we've discovered is the best practice around homelessness, which is housing first. Um, It's, it's a movement that, has been well documented to be successful that if we if we stop this practice that we've been doing of making people prove that they are worthy of housing by going through programs by cleaning themselves up by getting connected to healthcare or mental health care or going through our shelter system and like rising to the top uh, that's been our habit before and the people that rise to the top, we give housing and say, good on you, you earned it. Uh, that if we actually take the complete opposite model and take someone and put them in housing first and then surround them with supportive services, that one, it's a thousand times more successful uh, in them retaining their housing. And actually on a uh, social level, on like a city level, it's cheaper. Uh, I wish I had the numbers just at hand, but the amount of money that we spend policing, incarcerating, hospitalizing, uh, responding with emergency services, providing shelter and meals, uh, we would save all of that money if we would just literally pay full rent for everybody for the rest of their lives. We would actually save money. Um, and we would (laughs) uphold people's dignity. We would extend their life significantly. Uh, it just, it really is this amazing solution. That's a win, 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 but it, it bumps up against that idea that we've been talking about. Like if we give them that and they didn't deserve it or they didn't earn it, then we're somehow undermining our own sense of like, our own deservedness or how hard we work to get what we have. Um, And so the solution is there. We just need to, I say just almost tongue in cheek. We need to have that monumental mental and cultural shift away from this idea that of the meritocracy and, and we could, we could end homelessness. Are there any countries right now who are doing this? Uh, There are cities that are doing this around the world that have done so really successfully. Mm -hmm. There's cities in the U.S. that have applied it to uh, subsets of populations. Again, I don't have it in front of me, but there was a city 
in New Jersey uh, and a city in Texas. And I don't know which one is which, but one of them ended veteran homelessness through this policy. They just decided any any veteran who is experiencing homelessness, we're, we're going to housing first model you guys. And boom, they did it. Uh, and the other one said, we want to end youth homelessness. So if you're under this age, boom, we're doing housing first. And it worked. That is beautiful. Yeah. So it's really just going to take the the imagination and that that mindset shift and and the building of enough housing or the reclaiming of housing that already exists. Yeah. In order to to do it and in LA it feels a little more impossible because we have you know 60,000 people experiencing homelessness in our in our city but or wow. county but but it is it is doable. We can do it. We just, in many ways, we just have to decide to. Yeah, absolutely. So as we finish up here, I wanted to just ask you, um, what gives you hope in this? Mm. That just a changes, light little question. Yeah, <laughs> that, that changes day to day. Um, these days, I've been really discouraged, to be honest, on the larger scale, um, because COVID-19 has exposed just how bad so many things are. And obviously we've seen this in every aspect of society, right? From, uh, from racism being called to account even more. Our, our public health industry has, has really failed. Uh, but homelessness and our housing uh, systems, at least for me and for those who are watching, have similarly been called to account in a lot of ways. Um, and so looking for hope there has been tough. Um, but what has always given me hope and why I try to always stay grounded in, in the work I do at, at the organization I work for is that, even in the midst of all of these system failures, like there are still people who are able to find some sense of flourishing, who are able to get into housing, who are able to get access to healthcare for the first time in a decade through, um, through the relationships that we build, through the community that we build, through the trust that we build. I, f I find hope when I can take this down to a micro level and know that we have the capacity and we have all of all that we need to uh, to help people uh and that we just need to keep expanding it <laughs> um I, I find a lot of hope in the day-to-day -day work and and i guess i just i have to hold out hope that we can continue to bear witness to that and convince more and more people of of that model that puts that puts people's first that put people's dignity first and that leads with uh, relationship building and trust. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us. Where can we follow you? And are there any other organizations that we can be supporting that you would encourage us to support in this work? And yeah, I just want to know where to follow you and and look out for your book. Yeah. Uh, my website is kevinmni.com. I write and post stuff on there. And that's also where you can sign up for my newsletter. 
in terms of social media, I'm most active on Twitter. I have an Instagram, but I, I don't understand it. I'm not good at it. So on Twitter, I'm, I, I'm at Kevin M. Nye one on Instagram and Twitter, but follow me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Instagram, but I'm mostly just taking screenshots of my tweets and putting them over there. Oh my that's, gosh, that's, that's what I do I, too. <laughs> that's all I that's all I know how to do. I'm not I'm not a as much of a visual person and I don't take good pictures. So Instagram was not made for me. Um, That's funny. I actually in my Twitter handle have better at Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I took that from pastor Trey. I don't know if you follow him or connect. Oh yeah. 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 I follow him. Yeah, Yeah. I, yeah, I wish, but yeah, follow me on Twitter and, uh, check out my website, sign up for my newsletter. Uh, the organization I work for is called the center in Hollywood. Um, obviously I, I love it. I work there. I think we're doing really great work. Uh, I, I'm hoping to get to know more organizations around the country that are, are doing the good work, but I'm pretty insulated from that right now. So if you're wanting to get involved locally, I would say, you know, try a couple places out, find out what the like activists and advocates are doing in your neighborhood and who they say is doing the good work. Uh, you know, volunteer somewhere and talk with the people experiencing homelessness and ask them, you know, who are the organizations that you really count on? Who are the people that you trust and and try to get involved with them? Because unfortunately, not all homeless services agencies are created equal. They're not all necessarily doing it in the right way or for the right reasons, I find. But there's always good ones out there. You just got to you got to look for them, find them and ask the right questions. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 